0: PART 11 OF PROSE ROMANCES FROM THE OXFORD AND CAMBRIDGE MAGAZINE BY WILLIAM MORRIS THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN THE Hollow LAND CHAPTER THREE LEAVING THE WORLD FIT THE FIRST I had thought when I fell that I should never wake again, but I woke at last. For a long time I was quite dizzied and could see nothing at all horrible doubts came creeping over me i half expected to see presently great half-formed shapes come rolling up to me to crush me something fiery not strange too utterly horrible to be strange but utterly vile and ugly the sight of which would have killed me when i was upon the earth came rolling up to torment me in fact i doubted if i were in hell i knew i deserved to be but i prayed and then it came into my mind that i could not pray if i were in hell also there seemed to be a cool green light all about me which was sweet then presently i heard a glorious voice ring out clear close to me christ keep the hollow land through the sweet spring tide when the apple blossoms bless the lowly bent hillside thereat my eyes were slowly unsealed and i saw the blessedest sight i have ever seen before or since for i saw my love she sat about five yards from me on a great grey stone that had much moss on it one of the many scattered along the side of the stream by which i lay she was clad in loose white raiment close to her hands and throat her feet were bare her hair hung loose a long way down but some of it lay on her knees i said white raiment but long spikes of light scarlet went down from the throat lost here and there in the shadows of the folds and growing smaller and smaller died before they reached her feet i was lying with my head resting on soft moss that someone had gathered and placed under me she when she saw me moving and awake came and stood over me with a gracious smile she was so lovely and tender to look at and so kind yet withal no one man or woman had ever frightened me half so much she was not fair in white and red like many beautiful women are being rather pale but like ivory for smoothness and her hair was quite golden not light yellow but dusky golden i tried to get up on my feet but was too weak and sunk back again she said no not just yet do not trouble yourself or try to remember anything just at present therewithal she kneeled down and hung over me closer to-morrow you may perhaps have something hard to do or bear i know but now you must be as happy as you can be quietly happy why did you start and turn pale when i came to you do you not know who i am nay but you do i see and i have been waiting here so long for you so you must have expected to see me you cannot be frightened of me are you but i could not answer a word but all the time strange knowledge strange feelings were filling my brain and my heart she said you are tired rest and dream happily so she sat by me and sung to lull me to sleep while i turned on my elbow and watched the waving of her throat And the singing of all the poets i had ever heard and of many others too not born till years long after i was dead floated all about me as she sung and i did indeed dream happily when i awoke it was the time of the cold dawn and the colours were gathering themselves together whereat in fatherly approving fashion the sun sent all across the east long bars of scarlet and orange that after faded through yellow to green and blue and she sat by me still i think she had been sitting there and singing all the time all through hot yesterday for i had been sleeping day long and night long all through the falling evening under moonlight and starlight the night through and now it was dawn and i think too that neither of us had moved at all for the last thing i remembered before i went to sleep was the tips of her fingers brushing my cheek as she knelt over me with down drooping arm and still now i felt them there moreover she was just finishing some fainting measure that died before it had time to get painful in its passion dear lord how i loved her yet did i not dare to touch her or even speak to her she smiled with delight when she saw i was awake again and slid down her hand on to mine but some shuddering dread made me draw it away again hurriedly then i saw the smile leave her face what would i not have given for courage to hold her body quite tight to mine but i was so weak she said have you been very happy yea i said it was the first word i had spoken there and my voice sounded strange ah she said you will talk more when you get used to the air of the hollow land have you been thinking of your past life at all if not try to think of it what thing in heaven or earth do you wish for most still i said no word but she said in a wearied way well now i think you will be strong enough to get to your feet and walk take my hand and try therewith she held it out i strove hard to be brave enough to take it but could not i only turned away shuddering sick and grieved to the heart's core of me then struggling hard with hand and knee and elbow i scarce rose and stood up totteringly while she watched me sadly still holding out her hand but as i rose in my swinging to and fro the steel sheath of my sword struck her on the hand so that the blood flowed from it which she stood looking at for a while then dropped it downwards and turned to look at me, for I was going. Then, as I walked, she followed me. So I stopped and turned and said, almost fiercely, I am going alone to look for my brother. The vehemence with which I spoke, or something else, burst some blood-vessel within my throat, and we both stood there with the blood running from us on to the grass and summer flowers. She said, If you find him, wait with him till I come yea and i turned and left her following the course of the stream upwards and as i went i heard her low singing that almost broke my heart for its sadness and i went painfully because of my weakness and because also of the great stones and sometimes i went along a spot of earth where the river had been used to flow in flood-time and which was now bare of everything but stones and the sun now risen high poured down on everything a great flood of fierce light and scorching heat and burnt me sorely so that i almost fainted but about noontide i entered a wood close by the stream a beech wood intending to rest myself the herbage was thin and scattered there sprouting up from amid the leaf sheaths and nuts of the beeches which had fallen year after year on that same spot the outside boughs swept low down the air itself seemed green when you entered within the shadow of the branches they over-roofed the place so with tender green only here and there showing spots of blue but what lay at the foot of a great beech-tree but some dead knight in armour only the helmet off a wolf was prowling round it who ran away snarling when he saw me coming so i went up to that dead knight and fell on my knees before him laying my head on his breast for it was arnold he was quite cold but had not been dead for very long i would not believe him dead but went down to the stream and brought him water tried to make him drink what would you he was as dead as swanhilda neither came there any answer to my cries that afternoon but the moaning of the wood-doves in the beeches So then I sat down, and took his head on my knees, and closed the eyes, and wept quietly while the sun sunk lower. But a little after sunset I heard a rustle through the leaves that was not the wind, and looking up my eyes met the pitying eyes of that maiden. Something stirred rebelliously within me. I ceased weeping, and said, "'It is unjust, unfair. What right has Swanhilda to live?' did not god give her up to us how much better was he than ten Swanhilders? and look you see he is dead now this i shrieked out being mad and though i trembled when i saw some stormy wrath that vexed her very heart and loving lips gathering on her face i yet sat there looking at her and screaming screaming till all the place rang but when growing hoarse and breathless i ceased she said with straightened brow and scornful mouth so bravely done must i then though i am a woman call you a liar for saying god is unjust you to punish her had not god then punished her already how many times when she woke in the dead night do you suppose she missed seeing king Urain's pale face and hacked head lying on the pillow by her side whether by night or day What things but screams did she hear When the wind blew loud round about the palace corners? And did not that face, too, often come before her, Pale and bleeding as it was long ago, And gaze at her from unhappy eyes, poor eyes, With changed purpose in them, No more hope of converting the world When that blow was once struck. Truly it was very wicked. No more dreams, but only fierce struggles With the devil for very life no more dreams but failure at last and death happier so in the hollow land she grew so pitying as she gazed at his dead face that i began to weep again unreasonably while she saw not that i was weeping but looked only on arnold's face but after turned on me frowning unjust yes truly unjust enough to take away life and all hope from her you have done a base cowardly act You and your brother here disguise it as you may you deserve all god's judgments you but i turned my eyes and wet face to her and said do not curse me there do not look like swanhilda for see now you said at first that you had been waiting long for me give me your hand now for i love you so then she came and knelt by where i sat and i caught her in my arms and she prayed to be forgiven oh florian i have indeed waited long for you and when i saw you my heart was filled with joy but you would neither touch me nor speak to me so that i became almost mad forgive me we will be so happy now oh do you know this is what i have been waiting for all these years it made me glad i know when i was a little baby in my mother's arms to think i was born for this and afterwards as i grew up I used to watch every breath of wind through the beech boughs every turn of the silver poplar leaves thinking it might be you or some news of you then i rose and drew her up with me but she knelt again by my brother's side and kissed him and said oh brother the hollow land is only second best of the places god has made for heaven also is the work of his hand afterwards we dug a deep grave among the beech roots and there we buried arnold the lilies and i have never seen him since scarcely even in dreams surely god has had mercy on him for he was very leal and true and brave he loved many men and was kind and gentle to his friends neither did he hate any but swanhilda but as for us two margaret and me i cannot tell you concerning our happiness such things cannot be told only this i know that we abode continually in the hollow land until i lost it moreover this i can tell you margaret was walking with me as she often walked near the place where i had first seen her presently we came upon a woman sitting dressed in scarlet and gold raiment with her head laid down upon her knees likewise we heard her sobbing Margaret, who is she? I said. I knew not that any dwelt in the hollow land, but us two only. She said, I know not who she is. Only sometimes, these many years, I have seen her scarlet robe flaming from far away amid the quiet green grass. But I was never so near her as this. Florian, I am afraid. Let us come away. Fit the Second such a horrible grey november day it was the fog smell all about the fog creeping into our very bones and i sat there trying to recollect at any rate something under those fir trees that i ought to have known so well just think now i had lost my best years somewhere for i was past the prime of life my hair and beard were scattered with white my body was growing weaker my memory of all things was very faint my raiment purple and scarlet and blue once was so stained that you could scarce call it any colour was so tattered that it scarce covered my body though it seemed once to have fallen in heavy folds to my feet and still when i rose to walk though the miserable november mist lay in great drops upon my bare breast Yet was I obliged to wind my raiment over my arm, it draggled so, wretched, slimy, textulous thing, in the brown mud. On my head was a light morion, which pressed on my brow and pained me. So I put my hand up to take it off, but when I touched it, I stood still in my walk shuddering. I nearly fell to the earth with shame and sick horror, for I laid my hand on a lump of slimy earth with worms coiled up in it. I could scarce forbear from shrieking, but breathing such a prayer as I could think of, I raised my hand again and seized it firmly. Worse horror still, the rust had eaten it into holes, and I gripped my own hair as well as the rotting steel, the sharp edge of which cut into my fingers. But setting my teeth gave a great wrench, for I knew that if I let go of it then, no power on the earth or under it could make me touch it again god be praised i tore it off and cast it far from me i saw the earth and the worms and the green weeds and sun-begotten slime whirling out from it radiatingly as it spun round about i was girt with a sword too the leathern belt of which had shrunk and squeezed my waist dead leaves had gathered in knots about the buckles of it the gilded handle was encrusted with clay in many parts the velvet sheath miserably worn but verily when i took hold of the hilt and dreaded lest instead of a sword i should find a serpent in my hand lo then i drew out my own true blade and shook it flawless from hilt to point gleaming white in that mist therefore it sent a thrill of joy to my heart to know that there was one friend left me yet i sheathed it again carefully and undoing it from my waist hung it about my neck. Then, catching up my rags in my arms, I drew them up till my legs and feet were altogether clear from them, afterwards folded my arms over my breast, gave a long leap, and ran, looking downward, but not giving heed to my way. Once or twice I fell over stumps of trees and such like, for it was a cut down wood that I was in, but I rose always, though bleeding and confused, and went on still, sometimes tearing madly through briars and gorse-bushes, so that my blood dropped on the dead leaves as I went. I ran in this way for about an hour, then I heard a gurgling and splashing of waters. I gave a great shout, and leapt strongly with shut eyes, and the black water closed over me. When I rose again, i saw near me a boat with a man in it but the shore was far off i struck out toward the boat but my clothes which i had knotted and folded about me weighed me down terribly the man looked at me and began to paddle toward me with the oar he held in his left hand having in his right a long slender spear barbed like a fish-hook perhaps i thought it is some fishing-spear moreover his raiment was of scarlet "'with upright stripes of yellow and black all over it. "'When my eye caught his, a smile widened his mouth "'as if someone had made a joke, but I was beginning to sink, "'and indeed my head was almost under water, "'just as he came and stood above me. "'But before it went quite under, I saw his spear gleam, "'then felt it in my shoulder, and for the present felt nothing else. "'When I woke I was on the bank of that river, The flooded waters went hurrying past me. No boat on them now. From the river the ground went up in gentle slopes till it grew a great hill, and there on that hilltop... Yes, I might forget many things, almost everything, but not that, not the old castle of my father's up among the hills. Its towers blackened now and shattered. Yet still no enemy's banner waved from it. So I said I would go and die there and at this thought i drew my sword which yet hung about my neck and shook it in the air till the true steel quivered then began to pace toward the castle i was quite naked no rag about me i took no heed of that only thanking god that my sword was left and so toiled up the hill i entered the castle soon by the outer court i knew the way so well that i did not lift my eyes from the ground but walked on over the lowered drawbridge through the unguarded gates and stood in the great hall at last my father's hall as bare of everything but my sword as when i came into the world fifty years before i had as little clothes as little wealth less memory and thought i verily believe, than then so i lifted up my eyes and gazed No glass in the windows, no hangings on the walls. The vaulting yet held good throughout, but seemed to be going. The mortar had fallen out from between the stones, and grass and fern grew in the joints. The marble pavement was in some places gone, and water stood about in puddles, though one scarce knew how it had got there. No hangings on the walls, no, yet, strange to say, instead of them, The walls blazed from end to end with scarlet paintings, only striped across with green damp marks in many places, some falling bodily from the wall, the plaster hanging down with the fading colour on it. In all of them, except for the shadows and the faces of the figures, there was scarce any colour but scarlet and yellow. Here and there it seemed the painter, whoever it was, had tried to make his trees or his grass green but it would not do some ghastly thoughts must have filled his head for all the green went presently into yellow out sweeping through the picture dismally but the faces were painted to the very life for it seemed so there were only five of them however that were very marked or came much in the foreground and four of these i knew well though i did not then remember the names of those that had borne them They were Red Harold, Swan Hilda, Arnold, and myself. The fifth I did not know. It was a woman's, and very beautiful. Then I saw that in some parts a small penthouse roof had been built over the paintings to keep them from the weather. Near one of these stood a man painting, clothed in red, with stripes of yellow and black. Then I knew that it was the same man who had saved me from drowning by spearing me through the shoulder. So I went up to him, and saw furthermore that he was girt with a heavy sword. He turned round when he saw me coming, and asked me fiercely what I did there. I asked why he was painting in my castle. Thereupon, with that same grim smile, widening his mouth as heretofore, he said, I paint God's judgments. And as he spoke, he rattled the sword in his scabbard. But I said, "'Well, then, you paint them very badly. "'Listen, I know God's judgments much better than you do. "'See now, I will teach you God's judgments, "'and you shall teach me painting.' "'While I spoke, he still rattled his sword, "'and when I had done, shut his right eye tight, "'screwing his nose on one side, then said, "'You have got no clothes on and may go to the devil. "'What do you know about God's judgments?' well they are not all yellow and red at all events you ought to know better he screamed out oh you fool yellow and red golden blood what do they make well i said what hell and coming close up to me he struck me with his open hand in the face so that the colour with which his hand was smeared was dabbed about my face the blow almost threw me down and while i staggered he rushed at me furiously with his sword perhaps it was good for me that i had got no clothes on for being utterly unencumbered i leapt this way and that and avoided his fierce eager strokes till i could collect myself somewhat while he had a heavy scarlet cloak on that trailed on the ground and which he often trod on so that he stumbled he very nearly slew me during the first few minutes for it was not strange that together with other matters i should have forgotten the art of fence but yet as i went on and sometimes bounded about the hall under the whizzing of his sword as he rested sometimes leaning on it as the point sometimes touched my bare flesh nay once as the whole sword fell flatlings on my head and made my eyes start out i remembered the old joy that i used to have and the sweet sui of the sharp edge as one gazed between one's horse's ears moreover at last one fierce swift stroke just touching me below the throat tore up the skin all down my body and fell heavy on my thigh so that i drew my breath in and turned white then first as i swung my sword round my head our blades met oh to hear that chink again and i felt the notch of my sword made in his and swung out at him he guarded it and returned on me i guarded right and left and grew warm and opened my mouth to shout but knew not what to say and our sword points fell on the floor together then when we had panted a while I wiped from my face the blood that had been dashed over it, shook my sword, and cut at him. Then we spun around and round in a mad waltz to the measured music of our meeting swords, and sometimes either wounded the other somewhat, but not much, till I beat down his sword onto his head that he fell grovelling, but not cut through. Verily thereupon my lips opened mightily with merry rings. Then, when he had gotten to his feet, I went at him again, he staggering back, guarding wildly. I cut at his head. He put his sword up confusedly. So I fitted both hands to my hilt and smote him mightily under the arm. Then his shriek, mingled with my shout, made a strange sound together. He rolled over and over dead as i thought i walked about the hall in great exultation at first striking my sword-point on the floor every now and then till i grew faint with loss of blood then i went to my enemy and stripped off some of his clothes to bind up my wounds withal afterwards i found in a corner bread and wine and i ate and drank thereof then i went back to him and looked and a thought struck me, and I took some of his paints and brushes, and kneeling down, painted his face thus, with stripes of yellow and red, crossing each other at right angles, and in each of the squares so made, I put a spot of black, after the manner of the painted letters in the prayer-books and romances when they are ornamented. So I stood back, as painters use, folded my arms and admired my own handiwork. Yet there struck me as being something so utterly doleful in the man's white face and the blood running all about him and washing off the stains of paint from his face and hands and splashed clothes that my heart misgave me and I hoped that he was not dead. I took some water from a vessel he had been using from his painting and kneeling washed his face was it some resemblance to my father's dead face which i had seen when i was young that made me pity him i laid my hand upon his heart and felt it beating feebly so i lifted him up gently and carried him towards a heap of straw that he seemed used to lie upon there i stripped him and looked to his wounds and used leechcraft the memory of which god gave me for this purpose i suppose and within seven days I found that he would not die. Afterwards, as I wandered about the castle, I came to a room in one of the upper stories that had still the roof on, and windows in it with painted glass, and there I found green raiment and swords and armour, and I clothed myself. So when he got well, I asked him what his name was, and he me, and we both of us said, Truly I know not, then said i but we must call each other some name even as men call days call me Swerker, he said some priest i knew once had that name and me wolf said i though wherefore i know not then he said wolf i will teach you painting now come and learn then i tried to learn painting till i thought i should die but at last learned it through very much pain and grief and as the years went on and we grew old and grey we painted purple pictures and green ones instead of the scarlet and yellow so that the walls looked altered and always we painted god's judgments and we would sit in the sunset and watch them with the golden light changing them as we yet hoped god would change both us and our works often too we would sit outside the walls and look at the trees and sky and the ways of the few men and women we saw therefrom sometimes befell adventures once there went past a great funeral of some king going to his own country not as he had hoped to go but stiff and colourless spices filling up the place of his heart and first went by very many knights with long bright hauberks on that fell down before their knees as they rode and they all had tilting helms on with the same crest, so that their faces were quite hidden, and this crest was two hands clasped together tightly, as though they were the hands of one praying forgiveness from the one he loves best, and the crest was wrought in gold. Moreover, they had on over their hauberks surcoats, which were half scarlet and half purple, strewn about with golden stars also long lances that had forked knights pennons half purple and half scarlet strewn with golden stars and these went by with no sound but the fall of their horse hoofs and they went slowly so slowly that we counted them all five thousand five hundred and fifty-five then went by many fair maidens whose hair was loose and yellow and who were all clad in green raiment ungirded and shod with golden shoes these also we counted being five hundred moreover some of the outermost of them viz one maiden to every twenty had long silver trumpets which they swung out to right and left blowing them and their sound was very sad then many priests and bishops and abbots who wore white albs and golden copes over them and they all sang together mournfully, Propter Amnem Babylonis. And these were three hundred. After that came a great knot of the lords, who wore tilting helmets and saw-coats, emblazoned with each one his own device. Only each had in his hand a small staff, two feet long, whereon was a pennon of scarlet and purple. These also were three hundred and in the midst of these was a great car hung down to the ground with purple drawn by grey horses whose trappings were half scarlet half purple and on this car lay the king whose head and hands were bare and he had on him a surcoat half purple and half scarlet strewn with golden stars and his head rested on a tilting helmet whose crest was the hands of one praying passionately for forgiveness but his own hands lay by his side as if he had just fallen asleep and all about the car were little banners half purple and half scarlet strewn with golden stars then the king who counted but as one went by also and after him came again many maidens clad in ungirt white raiment strewn with scarlet flowers and their hair was loose and yellow and their feet bare and except for the falling of their feet and the rustle of the wind through their raiment they went past quite silently these were also five hundred then lastly came many young knights with long bright hauberks falling over their knees as they rode and surcoats half scarlet and half purple strewn with golden stars they bore long lances with forked pennons which were half purple half scarlet strewn with golden stars their heads and their hands were bare but they bore shields each one of them which were of bright steel wrought cunningly in the midst with that bearing of the two hands of one who prays for forgiveness which was done in gold these were but five hundred then they all went by, winding up and up the hill roads, and when the last of them had departed out of our sight, we put down our heads and wept, and I said, Sing us one of the songs of the hollow land. Then he, whom I had called Swerker, put his hand into his bosom, and slowly drew out a long, long tress of black hair, and laid it on his knee, and smoothed it, weeping on it so then i left him there and went and armed myself and brought armour for him and then came back to him and threw the armour down so that it clanged and said o harold let us go he did not seem surprised that i called him by the right name but rose and armed himself and then looked a good knight so we set forth and in a turn of the long road we came suddenly upon a most fair woman clothed in scarlet who sat and sobbed holding her face between her hands and her hair was very black and when harold saw her he stood and gazed at her for long through the bars of his helmet then suddenly turned and said florian i must stop here do you go on to the hollow land farewell and then i went on never turning back and him i never saw more and so i went on quite lonely, but happy, till I had reached the hollow land, into which I let myself down most carefully by the jutting rocks and bushes and strange trailing flowers, and there lay down and fell asleep. Fit the Third. And I was waked by someone singing. I felt very happy. I felt young again. I had fair, delicate raiment on... My sword was gone and my armour. I tried to think where I was and could not for my happiness. I tried to listen to the words of the song. Nothing, only an old echo in my ears. Only all manner of strange scenes from my wretched past life before my eyes in a dim, far-off manner. Then at last, slowly, without effort, I heard what she sang. Christ keep the hollow land. All the summer-tide. Still we cannot understand where the waters glide, only dimly seeing them coldly slipping through many green-lipped cavern mouths where the hills are blue. Then she said, Come now and look for it, love-a hollow city in the hollow land. I kissed Margaret, and we went. Through the golden streets, under the purple shadows of the houses we went, and the slow fanning backward and forward of the many-coloured banners, cooled us. We two alone, there was no one with us, no soul will ever be able to tell what we said, how we looked. At last we came to a fair palace, cloistered off in the old time, before the city grew golden from the din and hubbub of traffic, those who dwelt there in the old and golden times had their own joys their own sorrows apart from the joys and sorrows of the multitude so in like manner was it now cloistered off from the eager leaning and brotherhood of the golden dwellings so now it had its own gaiety its own solemnity apart from theirs unchanged unchangeable were its marble walls whatever else changed about it we stopped before the gates and trembled and clasped each other closer for there among the marble leafage and tendrils that were round and under and over the archway that held the golden valves were wrought two figures of a man and woman winged and garlanded whose raiment flashed with stars And their faces were like faces we had seen or half seen in some dream long and long and long ago so that we trembled with awe and delight and i turned and seeing margaret saw that her face was that face seen or half seen long and long and long ago and in the shining of her eyes i saw that other face seen in that way and no other long and long and long ago my face and then we walked together toward the golden gates and opened them and no man gainsaid us and before us lay a great space of flowers end of the hollow land by william morris end of part 11